Welcome to episode 165 of the Martin Bailey Photography Podcast. Today we have an interview with Rick Smolan, a Time, Life and National Geographic magazine photographer, now perhaps better known for his A Day in the Life series of books. Rick is also CEO of Against All Odds Productions, a company that Fortune magazine voted one of the 25 coolest companies in America. So without further ado, as they say, let's listen to the interview with Rick Smolan. So, Rick, you've um, you've led a pretty amazing photographic life, you know, having worked for Time, Life, and National Geographic magazines, and there's, you know, then there's your best-selling Day in the Life series of books. Um, I I also I caught you on uh, on Iberian X's uh, the Candid Frame podcast recently as well. That was yes. pretty cool. Um, so, you know, a lot of my listeners also, um, you know, actually work, you know, listen to that podcast, but I. I think, you know, there's probably a, a good half or so that don't. So if you could sort of explain to us a little bit about um, how you originally got into photography and everything. Sure. Well, probably like a lot of your listeners, uh, I'm a avid, you know, I'm a passionate amateur photographer to begin with. So, you know, it started out of my own fascination with photography very young. You know, my dad gave me a camera when I was about 16 and uh, I was terminally shy. It was the first time I could talk to girls <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably for a lot of male photographers that that was one of the first motivations of getting a camera. Um, <laughs> uh, and I never, I never studied photography formally, but I did the yearbook in high school and college and, uh, was very lucky that right after college, um, a gentleman who, um, he and his wife ran a little photo agency in Tennessee and my art professor knew about them. And he said, you know, if you send some of the photographs you've been shooting for the yearbook down to this husband and wife, this fellow's name was Jack Korn, and his, he and his wife Helen ran this agency, and he, he said, you know, they will pay you for your photographs. I said, what do you mean? I'd never heard of stock <laughs> photography. I knew nothing about the business of photography at all. And he said, well, you know, you could just put a box of 100 pictures that you shot for the yearbook, and they would sell them. I said, sell them to who? And he said, well, they would sell them to textbook publishers and, you know, uh, advertisers. So, you know, I sort of naively stuck 100 prints in a box, and to my astonishment, we got a check back about two weeks later for $500, which <laughs> would be like $10,000 today. Yeah. Um, so I was hooked. I thought, this is so cool. I, I get paid for something I love doing. Yeah. And the same, same gentleman, um, right after I got out of college, knew the editor of Time magazine mm. and uh, suggested I go up there. And I, I went up there naively with my yearbook under my arm. And, um, you know, at the age of 24, got hired by Time magazine. Wow. Um, and, and interesting that you, that Martin, that you live in Japan because my, one of my first assignments, um, was, uh, the first nonstop Pan Am flight from New York to Tokyo. And it was a, it was a press junket and none of my professional friends wanted to go because it was beneath them. Um, <laughs> and, and I was this young kid with, I had literally had one camera body, two lenses, a 24 and a 105. Mm-hmm. I'd never shot color before. Mm-hmm. And um, I, all my, some of my friends, uh, a fellow named uh, Dirk Halstead, who now runs the Digital Platypus um, a dig, and the Digital Journalist, it's a wonderful website. Mm-hmm. Um, it, basically, he gave me the ticket, and I went over. I left on a Monday, thinking I was coming back on Friday, and I stayed for eleven months. I, I fell in <laughs> love with Japan, with Asia. Um, I, I, I got you know, Time Magazine found out I was there uh, on this press junket and said, "While you're there, would you?" Mm-hmm. Um, you know, do this assignment and that assignment. So, you know, in between assignments, I, I learned also from Dirk Halstead a very, uh, one of the most important things in my career, which is the word barter. Uh-huh. Dirk, Dirk told me that I could go to uh, hotels and airlines and rental car companies and uh, offer to trade them my photographic services for free rooms and free cars and free flights. Yeah. And I'd, I'd never heard of this before. Um, and to my astonishment, I'd go in there with my, you know, little pictures from Time magazine and, uh, it, you know, all the hotels had extra rooms and the airplane, the airlines were not full. And, and so I was able to uh, trade my, you know, budding photographic skills for the ability to travel around Asia pretty much for free. 
Um, I've probably been to Japan over a hundred times on, on, you know, first on assignments. Uh, and then later on I printed the majority of my books in Japan and I, I just love the place. Uh, I've, I've hitchhiked around Japan, which is probably pretty unusual for a guy gene. Yeah, it is. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, I, I made many friends there, uh, uh, both Japanese friends and expats from all over the world. Martin, one of the things that I've always loved about being a photojournalist is this sense of camaraderie that um, even if I'm shooting for time and you're shooting for Newsweek, you know, when we're out there shooting, we're trying to outdo each other. But when when we're not shooting, it's a it's sort of a big family and it's the people you hang out with and spend your time with and complain to and and, uh, share tips with. And and I, I love that feeling of just arriving in a country that I've never been to before. And all of a sudden here are 15 people that I've met, you know, five times before in other places. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, that part of photography too. People, you know, some people are secretive with their, uh, you know, the locations and their their techniques and things, but I find that a lot of people just share it and kind of pass on the knowledge and the, you know, the know-how and it just makes it so much easier to get, to get by and, you know, all of that camaraderie, as you say. Well, I mean, there's a couple of things, particularly about, you know, the photojournalist world, and maybe this is true of all photographers, but I find it especially true of photojournalists, and and I'm probably one of the worst examples or best examples of it, which is, uh, I think I've always joked that that photojournalism is the world's finest form of delayed adolescence. (laughs) Um, uh, A lot of my friends who are in their 50s uh, could easily be mistaken, at least emotionally, for people in their teens. Uh, I'm not sure it's a very attractive quality when you're in your 50s, but nevertheless, I think uh, there's always been this, uh, you know, a lot of photographers like children are your best friend while they're with you. Yeah. Uh, They they make friends very easily. They're very charming. They're sort of benevolent con men and women. Your your job is not just to take the photograph, but it's to get past the guard's into the palace to take the photographs. Mm. So uh, I, a lot of times I've found that there are some people that may not be the best photographers in the world, but they are utterly charming human beings who are able to, you know, get in and out of places that many people can't. Yeah. Um, and it, likewise, um, you know, spending time with photographers, they have that sort of childlike openness and fascination and, and uh, curiosity about other people. They want to know people's stories. And I think people are complimented by that. Um, yeah, definitely. There, there are, there's, there's tens of thousands of photographers in the world, but at least when I was out there as a photojournalist, when I started the day in the life books, it seemed to be around a hundred people that were considered to be the, the best that were out there. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was always the baby of the group. I was always kind of honored that they, took me under their wing and I certainly didn't ever think I was one of the hundred, but uh, I liked hanging out with a hundred. <laughs> and and, and uh, one day I was sitting in a bar in Bangkok with Philip Jones Griffiths and JP LaFont. And, you know, Philip was from uh, a Magnum and JP was from Sigma. A lot of the photo photographers had gathered themselves into agencies. I was with contact and, um, you know, we were all sitting around this bar and everybody was complaining as usual about their editors and, now they didn't know a good picture from a hole in the ground and they never chose the right pictures. And, and, you know, as the youngest of everybody out there, I was always kind of stunned that all they did was sort of bitch and moan. And, <laughs> and I, I said, guys, you know, I feel so lucky to be out here. I'm getting paid $400 a day. I'm renting Learjets. I'm meeting presidents and prime ministers and seeing the world at somebody else's expense. And, you know, I pick up time magazine and there's a picture I shot last week. There's 4 million copies of it with my name under it. Yeah. I mean, what what could be better than that? And they'd all, yeah, I realized after a while what it was that was getting everybody so upset was that the photographers would get very emotionally involved in the stories they were shooting. Huh. And I think we all felt, you know, hope, I mean, at least at the beginning of our careers, I think we all felt that if we photographed some injustice or people that were disadvantaged or something that we felt needed to be exposed, that the simple act of our pictures being published would somehow uh, change that situation that once people saw the photographs, they wouldn't just, you know, sit back. Now, you know, obviously pictures like Abu Grav and Eddie Adams picture of the street shooting in Saigon and, you know, Nick Oot's picture of the girl and being near you know, napalmed in, in, uh, in Vietnam. Yeah. Those are all, those are all pictures that you can point to them and say that when the public saw those pictures, the, the politicians couldn't lie to us anymore. There was no arguing 
with what you were seeing. And, and I think that's true of those photographs. But unfortunately, um, I think for better or worse, a lot of journalism was and is today a, a very bizarre form of entertainment. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, even when the pictures are horrible and of, of great injustice is being done, the people look at them and kind of think, well, gee, I'm glad that's not happening to me. Yeah. But there isn't, there isn't this immediate, and I'm going to do something about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that was a lot of the frustration. So, uh, you know, here are all these editors, all these photographers, bitching and moaning. And I said, you know, wouldn't it be cool, guys, if we could all go to a country and spread ourselves out around the country for 24 hours? And, you know, obviously there'd be lots of research done in advance to make sure that people weren't just doing street photography. But this idea of a, a project organized by photographers, edited by photographers, you know, laid out, designed, blah, blah, blah. And so um, all my friends said, what a great idea. You go organize it and, mm-hmm. and we'll, all, we'll all come. Yeah. Uh, so I went off uh, knowing nothing as usual about what I was doing. I, you know, I knew nothing about photography when I started and uh, I knew nothing at all about book publishing. And I went, went to 35 publishers thinking they would fall over the brilliance of this, you know, idea of a hundred photographers, the best in the world let loose for 24 hours. Yeah. And they laughed me out of their office. I met with 35 publishers who just said, Rick, you know, what a stupid idea. Why would anybody, first of all, you obviously know nothing about book publishing. I said, that's true. <laughs> um, and they said, um, there's no market for coffee table books. Nobody in the world would be interested in a bunch of pictures taken by your friends in some godforsaken country, I, I was proposing Australia because that's where I was living at the time. Yeah. Um, so I went to the prime minister of Australia, who I had photographed many times, and he was he was always very gracious to me, and and uh, he liked photographers. I think he was quite jealous mm. of freedom that photographers had versus if you think of most politicians' lives and how every minute of their day is planned and scheduled weeks in advance and. The, you know, the word spontaneity doesn't even exist in their world. And then they watch us, mm. you know, we're no, no two days are the same and we kind of make up our own schedules and kind of, you know, for better or worse, you know, kind of very undisciplined except, you know, when you're actually shooting. So this guy, I think had a real kind of, uh, you know, envy and, and fondness for photographers. So I went to see him and I said, look, I want to do this book, A Day in the Life of Australia. And I've met with all these publishers and they won't support it. You know, do you think the Australian government could could like put up the funds for it because it'll be great for your country? And he kind of laughed at me and said, "You know, nice try." Um, <laughs> he said, "But but I will help you." And I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he goes, "No, listen." He said, "I will help you." And I said, "Okay." You know, I think he was just sort of shining me on. And uh, he said, first of all, I'm going to give you a letter saying that I know you, I you know, admire your photography, that you know that I encourage people to support your project. And I was thinking to myself, "Yeah, yeah, yeah thanks." You're not really realizing it is actually pretty cool to have the prime minister of a country, you know, giving you a letter. But I didn't really think it was going to make much difference since all the publishers had turned down the idea. Mm. And he said, no, no, he said, okay, but here's the, here's the really, this, here's the thing that's really going to help you. I said, okay, if you're not giving me money, I can't imagine what's going to help me, but I'll listen. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, okay, Rick, just like stick with me here for a second. Listen, he said, you're going to tell, you're going to meet with the heads of companies, with the CEOs of companies all over Australia, and you're going to tell them that you're doing, you're, you're producing the Olympics of photography. I said, what, what does that mean? He goes, okay, look, you're inviting, you know, 100 photographers from 30 different countries. You know, you tell me it's a collaboration, but I know you guys have been around you, and you're all trying to screw each other. You're all trying to get the best picture and, and elbow the other guy out of the way. And he said, you know, I have no doubt you're all going to be, this is a competition mm. no matter what you're calling it. And if you go to private companies, maybe they'll give you, you know, airline tickets and hotels. And, and of course, you know, as I said, Dirk had, and Dirk Halstead had planted this seed in my mind already about sponsorship. So with the, with the prime minister's letter of endorsement, he opened a bunch of doors. I went to see Qantas. I actually went and saw Steve Jobs, you know, back in the States before, uh. you know, it was when the very beginning of Apple, um, and to my astonishment, everybody not in publishing said, what a cool idea. Gosh, the best photographer in the world let loose in our country. Mm-hmm. You know, the Australians also, who I adore the Australians. I, I, some of my best friends are Australian. But there, there is always, there had been, this is, you know, 30 years ago, yeah. um, a little bit of an inferiority complex. I mean, they, it was almost like we were the big brother. They were the little brother. England was the parent. And, and, and there was this sort of, you know, there's always this tremendous affection between Americans and Australians. And, um, I think Australians 
felt like the world didn't know them. So the fact that we were going to bring all these famous photographers to put a sort of shine a light on their culture. Um, you know, we photographed, um, you know, Mel Gibson when he was doing Mel, Mad Max and it was yeah. in the early days of the film industry down there as well. So anyway, um, we, I, I had no cash. I couldn't pay the photographers, but I, I managed to get a hundred first class round trip tickets and we got cars and computers and, um, people, families all over Australia agreed to put the photographers up and I couldn't find a publisher. So I had to actually self publish the book, which was terrifying because, um, I got to a point where I realized unless this book was a bestseller, I was going to go to jail. <laughs> I, I had, I had no way of paying any of the bills. I had no cash at all. And, I, and we had 30 people on our staff sleeping on a floor in Melbourne in sleeping bags. And it was really terrifying. It was literally like jumping out of an airplane and hoping you could build a parachute on the way down. <laughs> Um, and I guess that's a good motivation. And in fact, I find that I'm a, like a lot of people, I'm an adrenaline junkie. So I, unfortunately I actually am much better when I'm scared to death. Huh. Um, and the book became the number one book in Australia, self-published. It was wow. the first time in history. It sold 200,000 copies in a market where 5,000 was a bestseller. Um, it, uh, the prime minister actually asked if he could be one of the photographers. I and see. of course that great publicity because then we ended up on every every tv show and every newspaper and um i had no intention martin of becoming a, a publisher or a packager or an organizer of events i i love photography and, and i i had no i didn't want to give up being a journalist i just thought it'd be fun to do this this one book yeah. but the book the book was so successful that um we started getting calls from other countries we got a call from uh, the king of spain saying, hey, uh, you know, we saw your book and, and we lost Disneyland to the French. We have this budget. Can we give it to you? It's like, yes, thank you, Lord. Um, uh, you know, Gorbachev saw the book we did when we did Day Life of America. It, the, the governor of Hawaii saw the book and, and wanted us to come celebrate their 25th anniversary of statehood. So um, we ended up, uh, you know, doing this incredible series and there were, you know, um, it was like the annual gathering of the tribe, um, oh. marriages and divorces and babies. And, you know, it was, um, one, a, a very, uh, a young woman who I was sharing a house with, she wasn't my girlfriend. She was just a very close friend, mm -hmm. fell in love with one of the photographers on the first book, a wonderful photographer named Greg Heisler. Yeah. And, uh, um, I invited them both to dinner, you know, during the week cause I, cause she, you know, I was living in her house and, and Greg was interesting and we had a bunch of photographers at dinner and about three days later, I was walking through King's Cross, and there was Greg and Prue holding hands. And I thought, oh, that's so sweet. you know. Mm -hmm. And they came up, and Greg said, what are you doing this afternoon? And I said, um, editing. You know, this is right after the shoot. Yeah. And he said, well, um, are you available to attend a wedding? And I said, whose <laughs> wedding? And he said, we're getting married. And this is three days after they met. <laughs> and so I was both best man and wedding photographer, and they're still happily married. They have two adorable children. And you know, I don't know if you know Greg, Greg's work, but he's – He's one of the most amazing photographers in the yeah. world. He was back then, and he was just getting started. Um, so there's, it's just, you know, this has sort of been like my family and my life all these years. Um, mm. um, I, I got pretty sick of doing the Day in the Life books after a while because after by about the ninth book, it felt like, you know, one-trick pony. Mm. Um, and I was, I was very interested in how technology enables photographers to, to tell their stories yeah. Um, so uh, I moved to California. I, I wanted to be close to people like Steve Jobs and the people mm. starting you know, at Adobe and then later eBay and Google. And, and, and we've you know, been able to continue getting sponsorship for our projects. But instead of doing countries, we've been doing topics like medicine or microprocessors or the global water crisis. Yeah, and then uh, my wife, Jennifer Irwitt, uh, and I have been partners for many years producing these books. And her dad is the great photographer, Elliot Erwitt, yeah, who was yeah. my hero growing up since I was 16. Yeah. Um, and he's still a very active photographer. Uh, do you know his work? Um, not, not that much, but I've, I've seen some, some of it, and it, it, I, you know, I totally agree. It's amazing. Yeah, he, comes, he actually comes to Japan a lot. He's, he's also with Magnum, just incredibly. Uh, he's, his, his photographs are like New Yorker cartoons. They're very yeah. funny and um, any of your listeners who are interested, I mean, he was my total inspiration as a young photographer. And when I was about 30, I went up to him at an exhibit 
the third time I'd met him, and of course he never remembered me. You know why would he? Mm. Um, and uh, this beautiful young girl walked up while I was talking to him, and that was his daughter. And, uh, so your your current uh, wife? <laughs> yes, my, my my only wife, current wife, and uh, we have two little kids. Uh, Jesse is six, and Phoebe's eight. Yeah. Which is why, why I was a little bit late tonight uh, getting to you for this interview. <laughs> no problem. We're, we're in New York City for uh, for Thanksgiving vacation. To, uh, I see. And visiting family and friends. But um, um, my daughter went for her first sleepover last spring. And uh, there was a little, little girl down the street from our house. And uh, she was very nervous about it. You know, what teddy bear should I take? And will you come get me in the middle of the night <laughs> if I'm scared? <laughs> it's like three houses away. This is you know a place she plays after school every day, but you know, it was a sleepover, so it was a big yeah. deal. It's a big so, adventure. Yeah. So the, the next morning, I went and picked her up, and uh, you know, she survived. Uh, and we were walking back, holding hands, and I said, "So Phoebe, what's the one thing you're gonna remember for the, the rest of your life that you'll never forget about your first sleepover?" And she leaned over and kind of whispered. She said, "Dad." Did you know that other people's lives are different than ours? <laughs> I said, uh, I kind of suspected that, but what do you mean? She said, you know, Charlotte's mother let us eat Cheerios for dinner, for you know, dessert, and you know, uh, her father read you know stories to us under the coverage of the flashlight. And she said, you know, do you remember your first sleepover? Mm. I said, Phoebe, you know, it's been so long since, and I suddenly had this memory that I swear I've never had since I was, you know, seven or eight years old. Mm. And she could see it on my face. She said, what? What were you thinking? I said, Phoebe, that's so weird. I, I have never thought about this before. And she said, what, what? I said, I, I just remembered, just like you, I went for a sleepover to this little boy. I lived in an apartment building in New York. And, um, I, you know, I was very nervous. And I went to his house for a sleepover. And we were sitting down at dinner. And just as I was about to put a fork of meatloaf in my mouth, she said, what's meatloaf? And I said, it's, it's food that we used to eat in the 60s. Uh, um, uh, and uh, uh, I looked around, and the whole family had closed their eyes, and they were holding hands, and they were praying. Uh, and I said, you know, we didn't do that in my family before we ate. You know, we, you know it just wasn't a tradition in my family. And, and she said, what did you think? I said, well, I just suddenly, like you, realized Oh my gosh, you know, everybody has things that are the same but different about what the traditions and rituals and ceremonies and, you know, the things they do in their house. Mm. And, she, and she said, Dad, you and Mom should do a book about how people's lives are the same but different in their houses. I, see. And I thought, wow, what an interesting idea. Just this idea of like a, a one-week look at, at all the, the ways that people kind of transform their dwellings into their homes, you know, the mm. emotional homes. Yeah. So, so we did this book called America at Home, yeah. which has uh, come out a few months ago, and it's done very well. And one of the things about it that people really like, both professional photographers who worked on it and professional photographers who didn't, as well as amateurs, mm. is that you can actually upload your own photograph yeah, to our website. Yeah, I saw that. And it, you get, when you get the book, you're actually on the cover. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, and it, looks, it doesn't look like a, like a cheap Xerox. It looks like a real... It looks, you know, it's the it's the logo superimposed yeah. over your photograph. It's the reviews from the Today Show and CNN, and mm. people people have just gone crazy over this. Yeah, you know, um, I I've not I've not got a copy yet, but I'm going to order one. Just and I'm I'm looking forward to getting that uh, you know the personalized photo on the on the front. It's uh, it's it's definitely you know I mean it's it's like I was I was looking at that and I'd read that. You know, one of your books in the '90s was the first one to have a um, a CD included. Yes, and yeah. you know, and you you're. It seems you know probably one of the main reasons for your success is that you know you think of these things that are just like so innovative and it's new, it's fresh, and it, I, I thought that, that was just such a great um, angle to come at this from. Well, I mean, as I said, I'm really interested. I, I love technology. I'm a junkie for this stuff, um, mm. and um, I think that. Some of the technology that's out there actually helps us as photographers tell the stories better. So whether it's a CD where you can, you know, give, uh, you know, at the time it was before the internet. So we were able to actually let you feel like I did a book called from Alice to ocean. Yeah. It was about a young woman who's, who uh, spent eight months crossing the outback of Australia with four camels and a dog. Yeah. And so I'm shooting for national geographic and, and, uh, you know, like every photographer I shot, you know, tens of thousands of pictures. I think I had 150,000 pictures every trip. And 
the geographic published it, but I felt like it was such a tiny representation of what I had experienced. Yeah. And, and the geographic wasn't particularly interesting what I experienced. I was there as a photographer, but I, I was, I, I thought that, that doing a book about it would be great. But then I was hearing about this thing called interactive CDs. Mm. So uh, Apple and uh, Kodak, uh, both, uh, kindly, uh, provided technology and funding. So we actually put a CD, two CDs in the book that let you feel like you were actually going on the adventure with her. You could hear her telling you the story. You could ask me, you know, how I took the pictures and get tips. You could learn about plants and animals of the outback or about Aboriginal culture. And now with the web, uh, have you seen Brian Storm's website, Media Storm? I haven't, no. It's a wonderful, wonderful website where, you know, Brian is taking photographer stories and adding, you know, their narration and, and sort of Ken Burns kind of, you know, pan and zoom through the still photographs and yeah. just giving you a much richer experience than you would just simply looking at the photographs. Yeah, I'll um, check that so out. Sort of ironic uh, that as major outlets for photo photography, like Life Magazine and Look, and all these magazines that I grew up with uh, are gone now. Yeah. Um, and yet on the Internet, there's sort of infinite space, but but – most of my friends are photographers are not making a lot of money doing, you know, interactive storytelling. It's, it's more satisfying in many ways, but so far it hasn't been very profitable. Mm. I hope that's going to change. I think it's yeah. a lot of it. It's like me with the podcast. I mean, I, it takes a lot of time and, you know, the websites, the community that, that's sprung up around it, you know, it, it's more about, I mean, obviously I enjoy doing that. I enjoy um, sharing the knowledge that I've gained from others, but, I mean, you know, you have to be honest, or at least I have to be honest, that a lot of the reason that I started that is just for the marketing value and sure. you know, trying, trying to get your name out there. And, and I'm, I've definitely become much better known since doing that. Um, you know, I'm getting more work and, you know, selling more prints and things like that. So it's sure. just definitely sure. that's what it's all about, I think. I think also think sometimes you just do something because you're passionate about it. And right. The money, money follows. You know, it's, right. for a lot of photographers, uh, I think I certainly always felt – um, incredibly lucky to get paid for doing something I just love doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, it's easy to say that when you're, you know, 23 years old. It's a little different when you're, uh, you know, when you got a family. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I agree. You know, that without having the passion there, I mean, I, I, I definitely wouldn't have continued doing what I'm doing. It's been almost th over three years now, and it's a big chunk of my life that I've donated to that. So it's, it's definitely the, the passion that keeps me going. But you know, it's just like the, there's definitely initially and even now. Some of the part of what keeps me going is just the fact that it's it's helping to get my name out there, and I'm sure that you know, sure. obviously <laughs> with media storm that's probably not to, not as necessary, but uh, it's uh, you know I'm I'm sure that, that there are these sort of benefits that we get from doing this sort of um, charity work on the internet to a degree. Sure, and I, I think you know inevitably the the the, mod, the financial models follow a lot of the creativity. Um, yeah. I, I think one of the most the hardest things right now for photographers is that there are so many good photographers out there and the yeah. internet makes it very easy to get your work seen. Yeah. And you know, the whole rise of micro stock is kind of really put a huge crimp in the, in the, you know, the light, the earning ability of a lot of professional photographers, because there are, I think, I don't think micro stock is anywhere near what you would get from, you know, top level professional photographers. But for a lot of people, either they don't know the difference or they don't care. Mm, mm. And you know, a picture. You know, it, it, I don't think pictures are interchangeable at all. But I think to some picture buyers, they're maybe not as discriminating as as they used to be. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you've you've got to have something that something in additional to, in addition to just good photography these days to to make a living at it, without a doubt. But and, and as I said before, you know, to me, a lot of being a good photographer is being able to get past all the obstacles and into yeah. the situations to to take the photographs. Yeah. Um, do you, do you, uh, do you travel around Asia a lot? Um, not a lot. I, uh, I was in China last week. Um, they, I, I thought I was thinking when you were saying that earlier, it was pretty funny. There was, I did a, I, I shot a portrait of a soldier in the forbidden city, um, towards the end of the day. And I got a, a really wonderful sort of a grin or a smirk from him just mm -hmm. from being, just from being cheeky enough to walk up with a, uh, 135 millimeter lens and stick it in his face and say, "Can I take your photo?" And and the the um 
the exchange that we had there, there was, a, I think it was a guy probably superior to him that was over there saying, no photo, no photo. And I was huh. just, I was just smiling and laughing and, and they, they were laughing back and they were saying, just take the photo. And, you know, not saying that, but mentally I could tell that was what, it, it was all a, all a joke. And yeah. I think that just the, the sort of personalities that were involved in that sort of three way interaction helped, helped me to just say, you know, oh, look, I'm just going to take it. And I, I late raised the camera, snapped it. And I got a, a wonderful photo of, of this young guy, um, with a, a great, you know, look on his face. And it's, and I think it's one of those things that you've just got to, if I was there with like a, a, a straight face, sullen look and that, I, I wouldn't have got that photo. So, you know, definitely just, just sort of being a little bit cheeky and sort of trying to get past things is, is definitely, um, necessary, I think. I remember when I was just first starting as a photographer, someone had said to me that you, you know, if someone gets upset at you for photographing, you know, the worst thing you can do is to slunk away. Mm. That, that the best thing to do is just to, you know walk over, and even if you don't speak their language, yeah. and, I, and I've done this my whole life pretty much, is you know, you know, if somebody's obviously upset, and I, I get ninety nine percent of the time, the reason people get upset is they think you're making fun of them. They feel somehow that you you've done something to them, and so mm. I always walk. And when you walk up to somebody, instead of looking guilty. If you smile, as you were just describing, you walk over to them, even if you don't speak a word of their language, you say, you know, you look just like my grandmother. And, you know, you just you use sign language, you, you know, you touch your face. And uh, people can hear from the tone of your voice that you're saying something nice. Yeah, yeah. And they don't feel like you, that, that you were doing something to ridicule them. I really think 90% of the time, um, it, it's simply somebody feeling like you were, you were doing something that, that hurt them in some way, you know, or it was making them feel smaller. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. So, uh, you know, um, I, I, was, uh, I was curious, you know, you did your, your latest book, America at Home, in conjunction with a, a shoot in the UK, right? Uh, so yes. Like the UK at home. And obviously, yes. me, with me coming from the UK originally, that kind of, uh, you know, got, my, um, got me thinking. And I was just wondering how it came about to do the two um, together. Well, it's funny, uh, you know, after we started working on the America book, um, we were trying to think of who would be potential sponsors because, you know, our projects cost literally millions of dollars to do, mm. and, you know, flying a hundred photographers around months of research. Um, we, you know, building the website, there's there so many things that go into it. Um, and we pay the photographers pretty well now as well. So, um, we, uh, thought of all the co- companies in the world that, that sort of were associated with the concept of home and who might be a likely candidate. And I, Ikea is a company that I have always just loved. I mean, I, I like going to the Apple store and I like going to the Ikea store. It's, it's yeah. like a fun outing. Yeah. Uh, even if I'm not really looking for anything, it's just, it's just, I like the creativity. I like the fact it's affordable. So we went and we met with the head of Ikea in the United States and uh, they just fell in love with the idea. And what, one of the things I was really happy about was that um, they, they actually said we would prefer not to have any of our products in the book. Mm. And I was, and usually that's the first thing I say to sponsors is that we're not going to do product placement because the moment you do that, then the whole book becomes suspect. Yeah. They simply wanted to be associated with the concept of home. They've been very successful in the United States and thought this was a cool present to give back, especially the custom cover. Mm. Um, and then their counterparts in the UK heard about it and said, well, we want one too. And I said, well, why don't we do America and then we'll do you guys you know, the next year. And then they said, well, no, we actually – you know, we're releasing this new campaign, which is called Home is the Most Important Place in the World. And could you do us at the same time? Well, you know, <laughs> it's mm. hard enough to do one of these projects in one country, let alone trying to do the logistics for two at the same time. I can imagine. So we were very lucky. Um, um, Sergey Brin at Google is a, a friend and uh, actually invited us to move into Google's offices in, in London. And so we, we, our whole staff lived at Google and everyone gained about 15 pounds because they, <laughs> they feed you incredibly well there. I mean, they have, it's this open cafeteria night and day, but you know, they, they basically don't want their place to ever leave. So they make it very hospitable. <laughs> um, and they gave us offices and computers and desks. And, um, we were really thrilled when Paul McCartney's daughter agreed to work on the project. And then, we asked her if she would ask her father if he would consider writing the introduction to the book, thinking, you know, he would never do it because he's known for not lending his name mm-hmm. to things at all. Mm-hmm. And to our astonishment, he actually said yes. So oh. um, in the United States, uh, Matt Groening, who created The Simpsons, wrote the introduction. Oh. There's some wonderful essays by Amy Tan and David Pogue, one of my 
favorite technology writers mm. and uh, uh, Dominique Browning from House and Garden magazine. And in England, we had Simon Winchester and uh, Alan de Botton and many other writers. It just, it, we were just the, the book uh, to your listeners. Uh, this is not just a book of photographs. You, first of all, I think they're, they're great photographs in, in both America at home and UK at home, but Absolutely. Um, great essays. And then there's some really f- fascinating and funny and thought provoking statistics. Mm, yeah. Uh, some of the ones in America that I love are um, 50% of uh, men, 50, 80% of men would remarry their wives, but only 50% of wives would remarry their husbends. <laughs> uh, uh, the majority of Americans live within 50 miles of where they were born. Yeah. Uh, 20% of all American school, school children today are growing up in families that speak a language other than English at home. Mm, mm. Um, just things like that that you really go wow that's I mean yeah. these are things that I had no idea before we did this book where you it, it's not just a nice collection of photographs and we, we talked about the housing crisis we actually had a photographer accompany a uh, policeman who was actually evicting people from their homes mm. which was which he was very sad about but he was basically hired to do this and uh, so here's a poor woman being thrown out of her house and then a photograph next to it is a uh, two children who live in a ten thousand dollar don't live they play in a ten thousand dollar playhouse in the backyard which has electricity in it. <laughs> I think they had air conditioning, <laughs> uh, and it's a little miniature replica of their parents' home. And it, it wasn't to mock one or ridicule the other. It was simply to just show, show irony, right? Well, yes. the irony and the it's just astounding diversity of of how many different ways Americans live. They live on houseboats. Mm-hmm. They live under car. I mean, you know, we showed people living under cardboard boxes in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, it wasn't a drive by uh, photo- photography. We knew the name of the person. We knew what they did, where they went to school, how, you know, as much as we could figure out about why they became homeless. So their story was treated with the same respect that we treated anybody else in the book. It wasn't simply, Oh, we're going to show a homeless person to say that we did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just think it's really important that, that you know you really feel like you just were invited into the homes or boxes or sheds of several hundred people and invited to wander around inside those homes. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was I was looking um, as I say I you know I don't have a copy of the book yet or the you know the the UK or the um, America one, but I was looking. I thought it was also really cool that you've got a number of pages that you can see inside. You know, I, I do. Um, suggest that you know anyone that's considering buying the a copy of either book just go over to the website um i'm going to i'll put some links in the show notes for the podcast as well um but i i thought it was you know cool that you could look inside the book and i think there's something like 20 pages or more for each book um but what i was what i was you know the point i was trying to to get to here was that i i was pretty um amazed at the quality of the images you know when when i first heard of the product the project i I was thinking, you know, obviously that you're using top class photographers to do a lot of this, and and some uh, amateurs as well, I believe. But um, that, you know, the the fact that you're using top class photographers should have told me that you're going to have high quality photo- photography in there. <laughs> but for some reason, I didn't think it was going to be that good. But when I looked, you know, the the shots are imaginative. They're from you know inventive angles. It's got good lighting. They're all even. You know, they're, they're, they're top class photographs. So, you know, well, I was. Yeah, so. Also, Martin is, is and, I, and I always hate to say this when I have photographers listening, which is, you know, as much as our projects are photography driven, I think they're very much made by the editors. Mm. I think, you know, having, you know, looking at hundreds of thousands of pictures and choosing the 250 that end up in the book yeah. uh, is just incredibly important. And, I'm sure. uh, um, we had uh, Eric Miskowskis, who used to be director of photography at the New York Daily News, mm. and um, Karen Malarkey, who's been the director of photography of many of our projects, and a whole host of other editors from from Time and uh, from Geo and, and and you know the the, you know, the Daily um, is it the uh, the the Daily News in New York. Anyway, the, we had a lot of uh, terrific editors who um, helped make sense mm. out of. Uh, how do you tell the story in a way that really surprises the reader, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you for the comments. I appreciate it. Also, by the way, if, if, uh, any of your listeners are in the United States, uh, as I imagine many are, 
we have a, a special for the holidays that we're offering $10 off. So you get the book um, for $30 instead of 40 with a free wraparound cover that we oh. normally charge $15 for. Mm. So it's, it's a great deal. And all you have to do is go to our website, which is uh, www.myamericaathome.com. Um, and, uh, when you get to the checkout part of the, you know, if you make your cover, uh, you just put in the code, um, um, it's uh, holiday zero eight holiday. Okay. Yeah. Or follow so, eight. Either, either one of those will work. <laughs> is that, is it uh, case sensitive at all or just holiday? No, it's not. Okay. It's holiday. So, so the, everybody that wants to, wants to pick up a book and, and hopefully there'll be lots of you. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, you know, don't forget that uh, that code. Actually, you know, you know, just to tell tell your listeners, your listeners, just just use fall oh eight. That's the easiest way to do it. Okay, fall oh eight. Yeah. I, I won't put that in the show notes because that's searchable. So you've got to listen. Okay. You've, you've actually got to listen <laughs> to get that. Okay. Um. So yeah, I actually I was going to ask one of the other questions that I that I was thinking of asking you was about the editing. You've just sort of, you know, answered the majority of that. What what I wanted to follow up with there was. You know, this is this is your project. I understand that there's a lot of people that help you, but do you sort of have the last say at the you know the final cut of the 250 or so that that make each book? Um, yeah, it's a little bit like a communist election, which is you know I I uh, I weigh in very heavily, as does my wife uh, Jennifer, uh, about what ends up in the book. But we also pay a lot of attention to what the editors say when, during the edit. I mean, everybody. We, we project all the images. We all discuss them. So if there's a picture I love and, and everybody else says that picture sucks, mm. um, it may just remind me of, you know, maybe the person in the picture reminds me of somebody I know. You know, there's, it's very subjective, you know, what you like about a picture and what you don't. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, uh, uh, Brad Zucroff, who was the designer of both America at Home and UK at Home, mm. uh, basically, you know, locked himself in a room for a week with each book, it sort of came out, came out with his edit, and then we sort of you know tore it apart a few times, went back and forth, and then you know so uh, it's it is a series of compromises, I guess ultimately you know because it's our company, we could we could sort of force things if we wanted to, but uh, the goal here is to have the book be as interesting as it can be, the largest number of people. So um, I I, I, spent, I pay a lot of attention to to our designers and picture editors because I think that that's that's really their skill. I still think of myself as a, uh, you know, a photographer. Yeah, yeah. Do do any of your photogra- uh, photographs make the book these days? You know, do you actually shoot for it yourself as well? I do, and it's sort of the calm in the eye of the storm for me. Uh, um, it's Monday. I don't have to worry about anybody else except myself. Um, um, I miss being a photographer a lot. I I love the spontaneity of it, and I love sort of watching life unfold in front of you. And unfortunately, running a, a company and doing these projects. You got to be planning, you know, six months to a year ahead. Yeah. So I feel a little bit like my friend, the old prime minister uh, Malcolm Fraser, who mm-hmm. you know everything was sort of set up for him way in advance, and he had to keep thinking, you know, sort of the the the, the, the it, it had to be thinking five steps ahead. And I, I don't, you know, it's more lucrative, but it's certainly not as much fun as being a photographer. But I guess that's you know stages you go through in your life. I mean. Uh, I think probably being a, a record producer is better than being a, a band unless you are the hot band at the moment, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like that. Um, I do photograph my kids a lot, and I photograph my friends, and I, when, when my friends get married, I like to I tell them to hire a real wedding photographer, but then I try to give them a National Geographic wedding, you know? Uh. <laughs> you know something they can't buy anywhere. Yeah. <clears throat> but um, uh, so I do, I, if I'm lucky, I get a few of my pictures. Mm. Um, in, in my uh, in my own books, but I try to uh, I actually put my pictures in uh, anonymously. I see. So that when the editors are going through, they're not looking at them saying, "Oh, we better select this because uh-huh. Rick's paying, paying us." Yeah. Um, I actually want to actually see if if it makes it through the edit without it being um, sucking up to the owner of the company. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. Uh, so uh, so you know, on your company, I I had a couple of questions. One of them's a little bit cheeky, but um, I. You know the the name of your company is Against All Odds Productions, right? Yes. Um, the, I, I kind of uh, you know silly question, but when you named your company, did it have anything to do with the Phil Collins song from the movie? No, it's funny. I, I love the movie, and um, I actually got to meet Jimmy Woods, who's the bad guy in the movie. 
Mm. Uh, you know, Jeff Bridges and Rachel Ward. Uh, yeah. But uh, I actually named it because um, every time we do one of our projects, especially when they involve complicated technology, mm. people always say to us, that'll never work. That's a stupid uh, idea. I you know, you'd think after all these years, people would say, oh, well, you've you know, been pretty successful in the past. Maybe this mm. is a valid idea. But I find that I'm still always you know, swimming upstream, especially with publishers. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I just thought it was a funny name and it makes people laugh. And, and um, I get bored really easily. So I actually like, as I said, uh, I like being slightly terrified. Um, <laughs> and, and so, you know, I think sometimes we purposely um, complicate our lives mm. uh, along the way. Yeah, uh, I, I can relate so, to that. Yeah. So anyway, I, I like projects that, that, uh, have that sense of, you know, against all the obstacles and, and, and actually adding things in our way to make it more interesting. Yeah. So cool. So, sure. so you, you, um, you were voted by, or your company was voted by Fortune magazine as like the 20, one of the 25 coolest companies in America. Um, I, I can already guess because of everything I've heard and, you know, in our conversation today, but what do you think contributed to being selected for that award or recognition? Uh, you know, I, I think it's because we've had a history of being sort of ahead of the curve in publishing. I mean, we were, we were the first people to ever do a self-published, you know, number one book. And um, a lot of people credit the Day in Life books for having kind of pioneered or, or, you know, turned the category of coffee table books into actual mass market. It used to be, if you could sell a few thousand, that was a big deal. We sold probably, we probably sold five million books now mm. uh, of these illustrated books, which apparently was not. The case, before, you know, again, I knew nothing about any of this. I didn't know we were setting a precedent. I was just desperately trying to keep my head above water and not go to jail. Which uh, <laughs> is, you know, so was it, you know, to a man who's facing a hanging, it's a huge motivation there. Um, uh, but you know, things like um, I think we were the first people to ever design a coffee table book on the computer. Again, mm -hmm. because of our relationship with Apple, first mm -hmm. people put a, an interactive CD into a book. Um, we did a, a project called 24 Hours in Cyberspace where we did a live event on the Internet and built the website in real time mm -hmm. with 150 photographers around the world showing how the Internet was beginning to touch uh, civilization and affect people's lives. And the website from that ended up becoming the first website to go into the Smithsonian wow. as, as, a, as a piece of their archive. So as, you know, I think Fortune was reacting, and now the custom covers and Mm. Um, we used to actually pay the photographers with Macintosh computers. So, Steve, <laughs> we were actually living in Japan at Apple. Apple gave us office space. It seems to be a tradition. Now it's Google. Then it was Apple. Mm. And Steve, Steve came to Japan and uh, walked into our offices there and, and not realizing that some of his staff had actually given us part of their office, um, mm. had extra office space. And he said, what are you guys doing here? And I said, well, you know, we're doing these books. And uh, long story short is I ended up asking him if he would let us um, buy uh, Macintoshes from him at cost and give them to all the photographers, mm -hmm. um, which astoundingly he said yes to. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, and, and those were the first Macintoshes that ended up coming in the back doors at Time and Newsweek and National Geographic and Fortune, wow. which is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. to to, to you know, so again, I think Fortune just felt like we've been consistently on the cutting edge of publishing technology, storytelling, not not just doing nice, pretty photo books. Yeah, yeah. I, so I, it seems so true. So you know, we're we're coming up to like fifty minutes. I uh, I wanted to ask um, one thing before we before we finished. Um, you know. It, if you could give one piece, one single piece of advice to a budding photographer, um, maybe someone you know hoping to make their living at this game, and and other than don't do it, um, what would it be? I guess the biggest advice I give people is to, um, you know, find something that you're uh, find something to photograph that you are very emotionally attached to, you know, whether it's kids or some situation needs to be fixed or it's Horses or, I mean, I'm just making this up, but I'm just saying that the, the thing that editors want to see when you walk into their office mm. is not that you're a hired gun, but that you're able to take a concept and fully explore it with your camera. Mm. That yeah. the way you look at it, that you give the editor an incredible uh, variety of choice of how you were able to illustrate the subject matter. 
because mm-hmm. inevitably is if you want to be a photographer and you want to work for magazines, mm-hmm. the editor is going to look at you and say, are you going to make him or her look good to their boss? Yeah. So a lot of times what people want is not, not, it doesn't, not necessarily brilliance, but, um, that you show that you're able to, to, to kind of think about something in a very broad, multifaceted way. Yeah. Um, and I know that I came back and saw editors many, many times before I started getting work. And every time I came to them, I showed them another story that I'd shot for myself. Mm. And I remember an editor saying, you know, wow, if you work for me as hard as you work for yourself, um, you're going to do great. And I think that that's probably the best advice I can give is, um, if you are obsessive about what you do and you're passionate about it, mm. uh, eventually you'll find people that will support you because it's hard to find people that don't take no for an answer and that, you know, against all odds, just keep yeah. persevering. So, um, you know, I can't help taking pictures and most of my friends are good photographers. You know, they live and breathe photography. It's all they think about. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're like that, Inevitably, you're going to find a way to make your living at it. It may, it may be that you just keep it as a hobby and not, you know, sometimes doing what you love can ruin it. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's a big consideration, too. Yeah. Um, that, that's probably my biggest advice. Yeah, that's great advice. So, uh, it's been great talking to you, Rick. Um, thanks for the opportunity to do the interview. And uh, Thank you. Not at all. You know, it's and sorry, I think I've kept you up pretty late. You're on. You're in the. You're on the opposite side of your uh, your continent tonight uh, from when yes, we set this up. So. Usually in San Francisco, but yeah, we're back here for a week just to to be with friends and family for uh, Thanksgiving. Yeah, we were we were sitting around at dinner last night, and everybody was saying that even though we all feel beaten up, I think we're all reminding ourselves how lucky we are to, you know, be doing things that we love, and and uh, you know, there's a lot of. There's a lot of unfortunate things happening in the world right now. And uh, um, I, I think times like this actually make people reach out and look after other people more. So I, I hope uh, we're, we're certainly doing that with our family. I'm encouraging all my friends to kind of think of people out there that, that are having trouble right now getting by and seeing if there's some way of just extending a little help until uh, we all pull through this. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I guess you'll, you'll be back to the, to the grindstone next week. Have you got a few more days holiday before you go back? Yeah, I'm going to actually be going back uh, uh, the week after next. And uh, it's nice just to have a break in the middle of all this right now. Ah, that's good. That's uh, good. Yeah. Well, enjoy right, the rest of your holiday. Thank you, Martin. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks a lot. Right, take care. Bye again. Bye bye. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, it was I've got to tell you it was a lot of fun recording and uh, you know a pleasure to have Rick on the show. Um, so you know it's already going to be a long podcast for you. So I'm not going to uh, go into any, any details about anything else today. We'll just uh, we'll wrap it up there. So you have a great week, whatever you do. Bye bye. PhotocastNetwork.com, your photography resource in the potosphere. PhotocastNetwork.com